The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm automotive news publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. The drive, the fumble, or that helicopter spinning run in the Super Bowl. The memories never fade. Or close your eyes and you can still see that gritty quarterback on the field in front of a rocking orange-clad mile-high stadium, twisting out of a defender's grasp, spinning and hauling a pass across the field to an open receiver. The magic of John Elway. Well, they're going to throw the Hail Mary here with six seconds to go. Elway's in the shotgun, gets a high snap, steps up in the pocket, looking long. Here goes the pass. Rod Smith up. He got it! Broncos win! Or perhaps you can remember other infamous plays, the ones that made John Elway a legend and a Hall of Fame two-time Super Bowl champion. Good enough to retire once that second win was secured. And John Elway has already moved them. Watson in motion, the snap almost hit him. Elway back to throw, firing over the middle, caught at the 30, down to the 28-yard line. The snap to Elway, the look, the throw, touchdown! John Elway has just thrown the touchdown to Mark Jackson, five yards, 98 and a half yard drive. Elway, gritty, determined, and impossibly competitive, which is exactly where we find the 60-year-old today, only this time in a different arena, this time pursuing success in the automotive retail business, selling cars at his many Western locations, or perfecting the menu at one of his restaurants, or even the investments in mobility companies. It's a different game for John Elway, for sure. He's a long way from that final step off the grass in Miami after winning Super Bowl 33. And if it's not his last game, it sure seems like it. And they have just announced that the MVP of Super Bowl 33 is John Elway. A unanimous choice. Life is different. John Elway has seven grandchildren. He's taken time for himself. And he's not in the limelight as much as he used to be. Yet walk the streets of Denver, and he's very much the same Elway to Coloradans, legendary in many ways. In today's episode, he talks about being part of a car community through his automotive business, as well as the culture of winning teams. I invest in people, and uh, not necessarily ideas, not necessarily, um, uh, you know, just flyers or you know, but but strong people that have a chance to give you a chance to think the same way that I think, that want to be the best, and when you. When you start a business, you want to create a legacy business, which means you want to be great for a long time. And it never got into the business for the short hit that if we were going to do something that we we're going to provide uh, services, whatever it may be, that we're going to be that lasted a long time. And I and I believe that businesses, <clears throat> if you're going to be great at business, you got, you know, you can be good to be great. You got to be good for a long, long time. Because if you're good all the time, that makes you great. It's NFL legend John Elway in this week's episode of Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. John Elway, welcome into Cars and Culture. What a pleasure to talk to you. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to be a part of this. Let's start with a thing or two that most people wouldn't know. You're a couple days away from heading to your own, I think, personal paradise. Most folks might not know that the former Bronco really enjoys being out in the open Idaho countryside, right? Yeah, you know, it's actually uh, more of a lake than countryside. This is a beautiful lake up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, so always sneak off there for about four or five weeks each summer, which is a great place to escape and get away from everything. So we're looking forward to, uh, at the end of the week, uh, moving our way up there for a little vacation. You're a long way from the California kid. How much did your experience living in the Rockies change you? You know, um, you know, I moved around quite a bit as a kid. My dad was a football coach, and so I moved around a lot. You know, we lived, I was born in the state of Washington, and he was a high school coach. We went from there to western Washington to the town where my parents grew up, which was Hoekland, Washington, and my dad was a junior college coach there. We went from there to Missoula, Montana, so 
got a taste of Montana, and then he went from there down to uh, Washington State, which is where Pullman, Washington, and Eastern Washington. So, and then from there I went to Southern California, where I went to high school. So I kind of moved around quite a bit. So I was I was used to seeing different uh, different places and getting used to different places. But obviously, you know, been in Denver now for about forty years, and so um, which is hard to say because I can't believe it's been forty years. <laughs> but uh, it's been a it's been a you know it's a, it's been a great place to raise my kids and and uh, you know a sure. great place to play and work. You kind of adopted Denver as as your home, uh, as you said, and then you also adopted about a million fans. Um, it, it it's got to be crazy for you to think about how a place like Denver has become so influential uh, in your life. Well, it really has, and I think that uh, you know like, like you know essentially I grew up here after you know, my adult life has been growing up here and the friendships that I've been able to make and the relationships and. Um, you know, and just the people that, uh, you know, that make up this state. It, uh, it was great being able to play for them and being a quarterback here because they have such a great following, not only in Colorado, but there's really kind of a five-state region here in the Midwest or whatever you want to call it, mountain states that uh, have a great affinity for the Denver Broncos. And so it's, it's you know, it was great to be able to play with in front of them and with that loyalty to the, to the team. And so... You know, unfortunately, we were able to get some things done for him finally, you know, <laughs> after the struggles in the 80s and then finally got something done in the 90s. But, you know, there's uh, it means so much. The Denver Broncos mean so much to the to the um, to the state and, and, and you know, this region that, uh, you know, it's it's a lot. There's a lot of pressure with it, but uh, it sure is. A lot, it's very satisfying when things are going well. I'm guessing you didn't follow the Broncos when you were growing up. You know, I didn't. And, uh, you know, I knew of them. I knew of I knew of you know, uh, Floyd, um, blanking on his last name right now. He's our Hall of Famer uh, running back, but uh, it'll come to me. It's early in the morning here, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they, they, I knew of them, but I didn't know a lot of them. I was a big Cowboy fan when I was run and uh, when I was young. And so who wasn't? Um, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> who still isn't right. Even right. though they're not winning. Right. They, they always seem to have that tremendous following, but uh, um, yet, but then, you know, once I got traded here, they weren't really on the list when, when I boycotted Baltimore and said I wasn't going to play in Baltimore. And, and uh, we'd, we'd asked Denver if they had any interest in uh, in trading for me, and they they did not have any interest. And so it really kind of came out of nowhere and out of nowhere and ended up, you know, being here in Denver, which was the greatest thing that could have happened. So we'll talk about your, your football home. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the influence that, that you had on the field. But let's start with business and let's start with cars. What attracted you to automotive retail? Well, what happened was Pat Bowen, he was our owner for a long, long time, passed a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He had been in the auto, he had been in, in, the, in automobile business up in, <clears throat> in Canada among few, a few other businesses. And so there was a, an operator down here that was looking for some money. So he, he went to Pat and asked Pat to, you know, kind of back him in a Jeep store here in town. And then when he did that, also kind of got me involved and asked me if I wanted to get involved on the marketing side, gave me a real small piece of the deal to do the marketing and get involved with that. So, so I said, sure, I'd do that. And then as I got, I kind of got immersed in it in the off season, learned a little bit about the business, enjoyed what I really enjoyed is, I, you know, I enjoyed the competitive side of it. And the fact that, you know, there's a number of cars that you put on that board day in and day out. And so, I liked that competitive side of it. And then as times went on, that was back in 89. And then 91, I had a chance to <clears throat> get more involved with Mr. Boland. We bought another store. And then from there, it kind of just ballooned. And, and I got to the point, he got to the point where he didn't want to go any further. So I ended up buying a Toyota store and a Honda store and a, you know, some couple of Nissan stores and the Ford store here in town in Denver. And, uh, you know, and that's really, I did it night. That was started in 1991 and I was probably my ninth year in the NFL. And, and I was, cause I was looking for what all started starting to think what I was going to do when I got done playing football. And so that was kind of that I enjoyed the business. And so ended up getting about six stores here. And then all, in 1998 was the year I retired, but it was also the year Wayne Heisinga when, when it, which is now Auto Nation, used to be Republic, as you know, mm-hmm. started rolling up some some uh, some auto groups, and so he came to me and offered me too much money. So there went my plan. So I sold those. <laughs> and my plan, there my plan as far as what I was going to do when I got done went right out the window. And and uh, but then eventually, with it after five year non compete, got back into the business with my partner Mitch Pierce, who's a tremendous tremendous dealer and partner, and does a tremendous job. And so we've got about five or six six stores now. 
three in Colorado, one in or one in Salt well, Salt Lake, and then uh, three out in California. So, um, you know, I enjoy the business. I enjoy the competitive side of it, and it's a great business. And if you do it right and you operate it right now, that's not much different than any other business, but I think even more so in the car business. If you have great people and you have great team and you work there, you work together and you take care of your customers, you can create, you know, you can create legacies and dealerships for a long, long time. And that's what, that's what our goal was. That first store in downtown Denver, what do you remember the most about it? What are your first memories of going to that Jeep, that Jeep uh, yeah, dealership? Yeah, you know, it was up on, it was up on 104th. It was a little, it, you know, it was, it was north of town and, you know, it was probably, you know, I lived south of town where we worked was. Um, where, where our complex was right at that point in time was off 58th. And so this was off 104. So it was 50 blocks North of there. So I could, I, I could run up there, but I enjoyed the feel. I've always enjoyed, you know, getting in there and, and plus, you know, and, and I've always said this, if I wasn't a football player, I probably would have been, a, 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 you know, an accountant because I was my, my really? strength in school was numbers. And so, um, I enjoyed numbers. And as you know, in the car business, there's a lot of numbers that go along there. So, uh, I enjoyed that side of it because it came rather easy. Now the sales part was a little tougher, but uh, I enjoyed the numbers and and uh, what it was all about. So, and we had just redone uh, or he just redid the store. Once they bought the store, that we remodeled the store and it was a real nice Jeep store. So, enjoyed uh, watching that process and watching that store continue to climb in sales and you know in, in the Metro Denver area. What surprised you about being in the car business? You know, I think the complexity of it, I think if you look at it, you know, you know, you really have five different businesses in one, you know, one operation with your news cars, used cars, you know, parts, service, as well as finance. And so, you know, you have three different individual or five different individual businesses within one with which all of those had, to, you know, and all of those kind of had to hold hands to make the dealership really be successful. And so um, that to me is what's intriguing. I think there's a lot more than people understand and under one roof when it comes to a dealership entrepreneurs too, right? When you think of the challenges that have gone on, you've seen firsthand here just during COVID over the last 14, 15 months. Car dealers are resilient. They bounce back, right, John? They really are, you know, and they are. That's that's the other great thing is, you know, there's a lot of really good, they're, they're, as you said, they're great entrepreneurs because they're always working. There's always, a, it's, it's a very competitive business, as you know. I mean, in each city, you know, you have several Jeep stores, you have several Chevrolet stores, several Toyota stores. And so you try to figure out how you can beat the guy, you know, in the market next to you. And so the competitiveness to it, plus again, going back to the, you know, being entrepreneurial and trying to figure out how to take care of people. And also, you know, once they get into the dealership, how they, how you treat them once they get in the dealership. It's no different than lining up against somebody across, you know, the offensive line and whether it's somebody across the street who's trying to sell that car, you know, faster than you are trying to right. offer a better deal. Because I tell you, the only difference there is a guy lining up across me in football is trying to kill me. So <laughs> the other dealers weren't the other dealers weren't trying to kill me, but uh, it wasn't nearly as physical. But you're right. When it comes down to a competitive level, it's it's about the same. How do you compare it to the other businesses that you're in? You know, when you go around Denver, you see the Elway restaurants. Uh, you also have other private investments. How do you how does automotive um, stack up against those? You know, I think that yeah, yeah, I've been asked that question several times, and there is a big difference because I think you know when in the car business you're you you're selling the you know what the manufacturers whatever manufacturer you're selling for whether it be Toyota, you know, and so you're selling their product, and so the quality of that product, especially if you're talking about Toyota, you know, really all cars today, the 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 quality of all cars have increased. You know, they keep increasing year and year and year in and year out. And so, you know, it's more about how you're going to sell that car. Whereas compared to the restaurant business, you got to worry about what steak because those each steak has to be cooked on its own. And so the quality of that steak is, you know, up to us also. And so I think that there's, you know, when you talk to the restaurant, talk about that restaurant business, you know, you're talking about the quality of the food. But then again, if you can get the quality of the food consistent, you know, night in and night night out, you're going to be successful in the restaurant business. But in the car business, again, the quality of the cars and what you're selling, because you're selling the same thing that the guy next door is selling to you or the guy in the market next to you is selling. You just got to feel out, figure out the best way to treat those customers to where that experience when they come into the dealership um, separates you from those other dealers. Did you grow up a kid interested in cars? 
You know, I did. I always like, you know, I my my car. The one car I always wanted was a Corvette when I was young. Even though I never, you know, my dad being a football coach, we were pretty. Uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so I had to work for my first car. So eventually, worked for that, and, and uh, which was what I was able to do that. It was a, my first car was a Datsun 710, and it was okay. a hand-me-down from my big sister. So you were how old? Um, <laughs> I was 17 at the time. Okay. So, so yeah, drove that, and then uh, eventually <clears throat> went to college. And I didn't have a lot of time. My dad was lucky enough that my dad didn't want me working. He wanted me out throwing the football and and working, you know, working on the football field and baseball field when, when I had time to, so I was fortunate to get his support there. But, uh, um, you know, so that's where I spent most of my time. What did you buy with your first NFL check in the vehicle front? You know what? <laughs> I actually bought, I actually signed with the Yankees and after my sophomore year in, in, at Stanford, I was, uh, I was playing football and baseball there my first two years, went there on a football scholarship, but, was also allowed to play baseball, and and uh, so um, I ended up signing with the Yankees after my sophomore year at Stanford, and played actually my junior year. Between my junior and senior year, my summer job was I, I played baseball for the Yankees up in single A ball up in Oneonta, New York. And so, um, but my first check that I got from the Yankees, I went out and bought a. It was another Datsun. I think it was. I'm trying to remember. It was a Datsun. It was the sports car, the hatchback sports car. The uh, Z, probably. The Z20, yeah, 280 yeah, Z. 280Z. 280Z, exactly. Great car. The black 280Z with, with gold interior. And so I was, <laughs> I, was, I was riding around on campus my last two years in pretty good shape. I'd say you're in good shape. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you were a yeah. Datsun fan. You, you've been hooked into the Datsun family. I was. I don't know why, but we did get hooked into the Datsun family and yeah. then obviously changed the Nissan. But uh, yeah, so the Datsun were the, the first two cars I had. Your father, Jack, such an enormous influence on your life, built that competitive spirit, helped cultivate that competitive spirit, uh, one you just talked about related to auto dealerships, but of course on the football field. What are your earliest memories of 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 Jack and his influence on your on your sports life? Was it the ping pong table in the basement? Yeah, it was. There was a lot of several things that he used to do to create competitiveness. And I had, I didn't have a brother. I had an older sister that was a year and a half older and then a twin sister. So we were all, we were all real close in age. And so, I mean, I think the first thing that he ever did to start creating the competitiveness is we used to, to race to get his slippers. And so, hmm. um, you know, he'd be sitting on the couch, get home and, you know, say, okay, who's, who's the first one to get, can get my slippers. And so, he cultivated that within that, and I think that, you know, the competitive sub can, competitiveness comes from, you know, number one. I think a lot of it's God given, but I, I think it's also wanting to be the best at what you do. And, and if you're good at what you want to, if you, if you, if you have that desire to be great at what you do, I really believe it gives you a head start in anything because you're going to keep striving for those goals to be as good as you can be, whatever, whatever you may be, whatever you may do. But I think competitiveness really is what separates a lot of different people in this world as far as, you know, the success they have compared to, you know, average success to great success. And it's, it's those people that want to be great are the ones that have seem to have the most success. And back to the ping pong table, you would oftentimes play until, what, two or three in the morning? <laughs> is that right? Yeah, we did. And, I, you know, when I was young, I was probably in the seventh and eighth grade. And he was a pretty good ping pong player. And, you know, he was a football coach. And so. You know, he was on the road a lot those days because recruiting was such a big deal in college football. And so he was gone a lot. So I cherished every little bit of time that I got with him. And, and we did when we did get a chance to play ping pong, that's why I usually went to, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. And, and it was the fact that uh, not that I was beating him all the time. It's like I wanted to beat him one time. And then as soon as I beat him one time, I wanted to beat him again, beat him the next time. And so I think that's what drove that because uh, – um, you know, again, he was my dad and, and a guy that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without him um, and such a great influence in my life. And interesting, uh, after football games, after high school football games, I've heard the stories of you avoiding the pizza parlor for uh, at least 30 to 60 minutes because you'd go home and talk about not necessarily the plays that went right or wrong, but you talked about or he talked with you about what you said to your teammates. Is that accurate? <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, I think a lot of it, too, was, you know, when I was playing, you know, I played 
I, I loved basketball too. So, you know, back in those days, they, they didn't have all the other sports. It was really just football, basketball, and baseball, they, you know, tennis and those type things. But, and so I was real, I, I enjoyed playing any kind of sport because I got a chance to compete. And I think that, you know, one of the, before we even got to, you know, the, the high school level, you know, he taught me how to handle and how I reacted to different things during games, whether you get a bad call or, you know, a lot of times you see people yelling at umpires or yelling at referees. And I remember one time I talked back to a referee a couple of times and my dad went to the coach and said, well, don't let, don't let him play the next game until he learns how to respect referees and understand that the bottom line is it's not the calls that are being made. It's how you're playing. And so therefore, you know, those type basic lessons that he taught me was the fact that, you know, those outside circumstances, whether it be referees, umpires, whatever it may be, you can't control those. And so it's how you react to those situations to be able to give your chance, give your team a chance to win later and concentrate on what you can do and what you can't control. So he did that. But then when I got to high school, because he was at Cal State Northridge at the time, and, and so I would after each game and and that uh, that he could see that, uh, you know, I'd go home and I'd get his, you know, viewpoint of what I, you know, what I was seeing in the secondary, if there's some throws I missed, why I missed them, you know, talk about techniques, talk about my drops. And so I did that for the first 30 or 45 minutes. Plus also, you know, even if, it play, if I played well, if I played poorly, I wanted his critique on what he thought I did right, what I thought I could do did wrong and how I could get better and, and so that way, having a dad as a football coach was invaluable for me. An enormous influence. When you think about your, your football career, who else, I guess, would you count as your, as your mentor? Um, who else was such a, a huge influence on your life? You know, I had several. Obviously, I had, you know, my hero when I was playing football was, um, was Roger Staubach and, and – uh, you know, because I, like I, we talked about earlier, I was a cowboy fan, and and so I was a big fan of his, and and uh, how he played the game, and how he went about the game, and you know, the, the time that he put into the Naval Academy, and the, you know, the sacrifice he made to the to that before he got into the NFL. That uh, you know, he's 29 years old before or 28 before he got in the NFL, and so the, his commitment to what he was doing at that time, and but also the type of football player it was, and then also later in life, watching the success that he had, uh, you know, in business after life. And so that was uh, the reason why he was such a, you know, my hero. I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with him. But, you know, the other coach that I had, and I had several great coaches, and I think that is the key thing for, you know, a, a football player, that if you have coaches that are very good coaches, they're the ones that can take you to the next level. Jim Fossil was my coach who just recently passed. Uh, last week, um, he was my quarterback coach at mm. Stanford and then became the offensive coordinator there. Um, and so early after after high school and into college, to be able to spend that time with Jim day in and day out, working on technique and drops and quarterback play and understanding that, you know, you don't have to you don't have to score a touchdown every play and understanding that, you you know, take what the defense gives you. Um, and so learning the game of football, Jim Fossil was a huge influence there. And then when I got to, when I got to Denver with the Broncos, uh, Mike Shanahan was my coach and, and another tremendous coach who, you know, should be in the hall of fame and hopefully gets there soon. But, uh, you know, was my, uh, my, my quarterback coach for a while and then became the offensive coordinator. Then he left and then he came back and became my, my head coach when we were able to win two championships in 98, 99. So, and Mike was, uh, you know, as, as big as my dad, as well as Jim and now, and, and Mike Shanahan, the three really big, huge influences in my life. Uh, when it came down to my football career, some amazing names, Sean, what are the strongest memories for you when you now sit and think about your, your career? I mean, the Super Bowls are obvious, but I'm guessing there are probably other moments that really um, light a fire inside you when you think about them? Yeah, there are. I mean, I think that any time I was fortunate to play, you know, at Stanford, we, we had moderate success. You know, we, we never were able to go to a bowl game at, at Stanford. And, and so, um, 
you know, that was, you know, always wanted to figure out. And now back then there weren't nearly as many bowl games, so they were a little bit tougher to get to, but we're never, we're, we're never able to get there. And, um, but the, but just the, the relationships I made at Stanford, I still have several friends that I'm real close to there. And so Stanford had a huge impact on me and, and just the, the people that I met there. And then I think early in my career, you know, with, uh, with the Broncos, you know, we were able to go to three Super Bowls in four years in the 80s. My fourth and sixth and seventh years, we were able to go to those. And each game, uh, you know, we, we lost all three of those. And I think by losing those three, it had just increased the drive of what I wanted to be as a football player and knowing that I wanted to be the best quarterback that ever played the game. That was my goal. And, and it was always the fact that that's what I strove for, to be the best. Now, the only way that you can be the best is, you know, you got to lead your team to championships. And I think that's what justify, you know, that's what puts these, even in today's game, the difference between the great quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks are the quarterbacks that can lead their, lead their teams to Super Bowl and Super Bowl victories, whether you, throw for 400 yards in the Super Bowl, you throw for 130 yards like I did in my first Super Bowl win. Um, there's there's other things that you do at, at the quarterback position that other than throwing the football and, and picking up first downs, but the influence and the leadership that you have to provide that, you know, is, is, is part of that quarterback position. It's a teamwork. It's the competitiveness. It's the unity, right, of bringing a group together. 100% because yeah. especially in court as a quarterback, you, you know, you're relying on 10 other guys have, you know, you really like relying on 53 other guys, but you're really relying on, you know, everybody with 11 guys on the, on the field at a time as an offense, everybody has to be doing their job for you to be successful offensively. And so that's why that's part of that leadership um, that, that the quarterback position, you know, needs is it, that you have to be able to, to get everybody to play, at a higher level and get them playing together. And, uh, and again, I think that Chris goes to the same thing as far as any business that you're in, whether it be the dealerships or the restaurants that I have that, you know, everybody has to be on the same page and teams win. Individuals don't win. Individuals win in tennis. They win in golf. They win in um, other individual sports. But when it comes down to the football and business, you know, teams win with a philosophy that everybody believes in and everybody's pulling in the same direction. Then you transitioned into a leadership position within the Broncos, which not a lot of Hall of Famers would do. Uh, you won on the field, you won as an executive, and you were a Hall of Fame, and there's only one other guy who's done that beyond you, and that's Mike Ditka. Yeah, I, you know, I think that, because uh, I knew I wanted to get, you know, obviously when, like I said earlier, like really my goal was to have my dealerships when I got done playing football, and then so once we sold and then I started to kind of say, okay, now what's, what's in the next step. And that's when I started saying, okay, I want to, I want to get back in football. And I did not, not necessarily want to get back in football as a coach. I'd seen the time that my dad had spent the time he spent away from the family um, on the road and, and the, and the commitment that it takes by coaches um, to, you know, to, to be great and to be great coaches and the relationship that they have with their players. But I, I didn't want to have four kids. I didn't want to have to spend that amount of time away from my family. And so that's why I decided to want to get involved in the front office. And so in 2003, we started, I got involved in the arena football league and we owned the team here in Denver along with uh, Stan Kroenke and Pat Bowen. And, and so I learned, I got my MBA hmm. uh, running the arena football team and <clears throat> we were able to win a championship one year in that. And, and, uh, but it was a great learning experience for me and, and to get that experience. And then at that point in time, wanted an opportunity to get back in the NFL and hopefully lead a team from the front office and, and really use everything that I had learned from playing quarterback, relationship with players, relationship with coaches, trying to know what I like in football players and be able to try to put that all to use and put it back and use those to be able to put these players and coaches in the best position for them to be successful too. And so the Broncos gave me an opportunity to get back in 2011. And, and, uh, and I really enjoyed that. I did it for 10 years this year. I moved up. And so I don't have the day-to-day -day op, you know, op, relation or responsibilities anymore. And, but I really enjoyed that. And we were fortunate enough to be able to convince Peyton Manning to come, come play for us in 2000 and, 12 which was an amazing <clears throat> an amazing stroke it was it was great for us because it just uh 
you know, and he was such a great player. And he came in here, we're very fortunate to to get enough good players around him to be able to win a championship. And so um, I've been very fortunate. And, and um, you know, now I'm stepping back. It's the right time for me to step back. And, and now I've got seven grandkids. So now I'm looking forward to spending more time with them. John Elway has seven grandchildren. I can't believe this. <laughs> I know. I, every time I say that, I can't believe that either because I don't feel like uh, I'm old enough to to be to, to have seven grandkids. But uh, very fortunate. I've got four beautiful kids that are um, doing doing well in life, and and uh, you know, so I'm very proud of that, and, and to be able to spend time with them and support them. Brief personal story: You broke my dad's heart twice in Cleveland and against Cleveland in Denver. <laughs> Uh, he thought he was going yeah. to the Super Bowl, but you went instead, John. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was, you know, the drive back in 86. That was kind of my coming out party. And I think that, uh, you know, I struggled my first couple of years, uh, especially my first year um, struggled. And <clears throat> because with everything that I coming out, I was the first player taking the draft and then, you know, said, well, I'm not going to play for them. So obviously got labeled a little bit as a spoiled brat and I, um, you know, so I had to kind of battle through all those. And so I know it's amazing how many times I run into people that talking about how I lose ruined childhoods and everything because <laughs> of the Browns and because the Browns have such, you know, a great history and, yeah. and, you know, we ended up beating them three times in the, in the eighties to go to the Super Bowls. And so, um, but those, th- those games kind of put me on the map and, and, uh, uh, we were able to battle through that. Then I had like his, then had a long dry spell there, about eight years before we were able to get back to the Super Bowl and finally win one. But you know, I think that uh, you know the perseverance side and and it can, the the drive to continue to work and and also be with a tremendous organization and be able to play for great coaches like Mike Shanahan who was able to come over here and get the culture culture right and and allow us to go and be able to win a world championship. The pressure of the NFL. How intense is it now? How different is it now than when you were a player? Well, it, it's different just because, I, you know, I think there's always been pressure, right? And, and everybody applies their own pressure to themselves and, and the importance that it is to themselves. But, you know, I think the NFL and what the size of the NFL, how important it is to to our country and, you know, being the number one game that people like to watch. And and, uh, and so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure with it. Plus you have the, the fan bases and winning championships is what people want to do. And it's the entertainment business. And so, you know, the one thing that you have to do in this league is you have to win. And if you don't win, then they're going to move on and find someone else. that's going to figure out how to win. And it's, it's such a difficult business because of, you know, it's such a level playing field because of the draft and how everything's set up with the salary cap and that, you know, every team is on the same, is on the same playing field and it's it's a matter of you know who can be better at what they do to be able to win championships and so uh, but again i think in today's game the difference is you know with social media and everything the media where the media is it's just continued to grow but now adding social media to that it just adds that much more pressure to these players and so um, there's still, you know, there's always been a great amount of pressure. It's just even more so now with the amount of people that are watching the game, but also the amount of people through Twitter and the different platforms that can get their opinions out there rather than having to sit on talk radio and wait for an, an hour before they can get on and give their opinion. It's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tell me about your special relationship with Pat Bowen. Well, you know, he was, he was a tremendous owner. And I think that, uh, the one thing about Pat Bowen was, you know, he was a triathlete his whole life and a competitor and, and to be able to have an owner that the number one goal is to win championships rather than be successful as a business, as a player, you couldn't ask for anything else more f- from an owner. And so Pat did have put all his resources, every bit of resources he could back into the football team that would give us the best chance um, to win football games. And so that's why I was so fortunate to be able to play with him. That's why this organization has been successful for so long and had the track record that it has is because of the fact that he laid that foundation that the goal here is to win football games. And the business side of it is to, to, to go out and, and, you know, make enough money that we can support the, and, and provide the resources to the football team to give you a chance to win. And so as a football player, you can't ask for anything else more than, than than that opportunity from an owner, and that's and that's what Pat that's what Pat gave us. 
He liked you, didn't he? Well, you know, we had a good relationship, and I yeah. think he liked it because I think, you know, we were on the same page when it came down to being um, competitors. He liked that, and I think that, you know, I was fortunate to be able to get to play a lot of golf with him, and uh, those got very competitive too, and so um, I was I was very fortunate to be able to have that close relationship, and not only with him but his family and, and get to know his kids, and so, yeah, it was it was a tremendous opportunity for me. After the break, we'll hear more from NFL Hall of Famer and Super Bowl champion John Elway, including his outlook on his own future, his businesses, and John will answer the key question, could he play in today's league? Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm Automotive News publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. Now, a return to my conversation with NFL legend John Elway. In your business life, um, let's talk mentors. Who do you turn to? Who, who, who have you studied? Who do you admire when it comes to the, the competitive winning spirit on the business side of the field? You know, I, I would tell you this, and, and it, it kind of been always my philosophy on, on how I invest, too, and the fact that I invest in people and uh, not necessarily ideas, not necessarily, um, um, you know, just flyers or, you know, but, but strong people that have a chance to give you a chance to think the same way that I think that want to be the best. And when you, when you start a business, you want to create a legacy business, which means you want to be great for a long time. And it never got into the business for the short hit that if we were going to do something that we we're going to provide uh, services, whatever it may be that we're going to be that lasted a long time. And I, and I believe that businesses, if you're going to be great at business, you got, you know, you can be good to be great. You got to be good for a long, long time. Cause if you're good all the time, that makes you great. And so um, I was very fortunate to meet quality people in the bit in the car business. When I, um, when I got into it, um, you know, Mitch Pierce is my partner in the, in the car business right now. And he's a tremendous dealer and a tremendous operator. And so he's the guy that I always kind of went to when it came to the car business, maybe even before I got in there, you know, I was always learning. And I think that, you know, another one of my philosophies is I'm not one that does a lot of talking. I do a lot of listening because if I, the only way I can get better is if I'm listening, because if I'm talking, I'm not getting any better, but you know, Mitch has been a guy, especially in the car business that, uh, you know, I've really admired and, and Paxson Gagne and Todd Mall and different people that run the organization now that uh, have been tremendous. And then same thing with the restaurants. I tried to pick the best restaurateur that I knew because I didn't wasn't it's not a business that I knew. It was a business that I swore I'd never get into because there had been so many athletes that had failed in the restaurant business. But I what I tried to do is pick the best operator and the, the guy that had most success that I knew in the, in the restaurant business. And that was a guy named Tim Schmidt. And so, you know, I, I think it, and I say this all the time is I, I'm not necessarily great at business, but I'm really good at picking good partners. And, uh, and that's where it, uh, you know, has been, that that's worked for me. Well, and in fact, in the NFL category, there's one hall of fame coach whose restaurant business has done extremely well through the years, Mr. Shula. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, he's one of those that uh, obviously with the success that he's had in football and, and uh, you know, and then to be able to have success in, in you know, the, the, the restaurant business. You know, another one is Joe Gibbs. I mean, if you yeah. look at the success that Joe Gibbs has had and, you know, uh, you know the world championship as a football coach and then also getting, you know, getting into NASCAR and being successful there, uh, you know, and so Mr. Penske, another one, you know, the, the, the success that he's had in, in his life. And so I've looked at those those type people and, and admired them and, and kind of, you know, set my goal is to hopefully be somewhat like they are. And as far as, and have somewhat the success that they've had. How do you think about your personal name or, or just the usage of, of your own brand in businesses? How do you, how do you well, vet the opportunities to really protect your name, John? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's been a big thing. And I think that, you know, when you brand something with your name, you know, that you're going to get one shot. And I, and I say this all the time, the fact that obviously with, with my brand and how I'm perceived by the public and what I've done in, in football, that's, you know, obviously given me a big head start. But I, I think that, and I say this all the time, is that 
we're going to be held at different standards no matter what business we have because of what I've done in football and, and the brand that I've created there and the expectations that people have because of, you know, football is that puts you on TV. And so you're, 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 you know, the notoriety is there and you're popular and they, and they see that. And so that, that is something that I've, you know, has been a big focus of me is, is protecting that brand and making sure that that brand is that, that my brand and the, and where I've tried to treat people throughout my whole life and, and, portray who I am to people that that transcends itself into what we do as businesses. And so um, that's why we get, you know, when I talk to our dealership group, I, and I say it every year, I said, you know, it's not the name on this building that makes it work. It's the name. It's the people inside the building that make it works. Now the brand's going to give us an opportunity to show what we can do. And that's what we'll get people, the name and the brand will get people to the door but ultimately it's how they're treated when they get in that door. And so that's why our focus and has always been to make sure that when we get an opportunity to service, you know, whether it be someone buying a car, a restaurant, that, that they are taken care of ultimate, you know, to the ultimate best that we can possibly take care of it. And I think that's, you know, and again, I go back to the same thing is the legacy side of it is that we're not, we're not, we're not doing this for a short period. We're in this for the long haul. And so therefore each customer, that comes in it needs to be taken care of it one one customer at a time and, and really create those customers for life. Are you interested in acquiring more dealerships? Will we see the Elway name in other places going forward? Yeah, I think we're still continuing to look at different opportunities and see what's available. We look at several deals all the time. And so sure, we're always looking to expand and, and uh, in the right areas and the right markets and in the right situation. And so we're very picky what we do. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's, if you look back, we've had, you know, like I said, I think we have seven dealerships now we could probably have, if we wanted to, we could have 25, but I think that we've expanded in the right ways to where we can make sure that the brand and the way that we do business continues to be consistent with, with, you know, with all the dealerships that we do have. With the potential disruptions in the retail and auto retail space, do you try to hedge your auto retail bets a little bit just in case it's it doesn't directionally go where you want it to go? And and related to that, I think you're an investor or have been an investor in Vroom or Rumble On. Is that right? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've you know we started. I was with uh, Vroom way back and with Marshall Chesron when it first got started, and it was starting as. Auto America, and, and that was going to be, you know, kind of something like CarMax, or we're going to do several, try to do several, um, you, you know, super used car stores. And so, and then that, you know, Vroom has come several different, you know, several, it's come through different iterations of what it was going to be to where now it's, you know, totally online with, uh, you know, Paul Hennessy running the, running the business as a CEO and his experience at Priceline. And so, feel really good about where he's going and where that, where the next steps are going, especially with what we've seen with the experiences over the last year with COVID and, you know, the amount of people that are going to be working at home and how much people are going to buy, you know, now they're starting to feel comfortable buying cars online. And I believe that that, you know, something that's only going to continue to grow. So, you know, diversification is always key, you know, cause you never know there's so many disruptions coming into the market and all businesses now that I think you have to be ready to, to adjust, not only, you know, at the room level, but also our dealership level. So I'm not going to ask you about your Datsun collection, but I will ask you <laughs> about your car collection in general. I saw a Barrett Jackson uh, video from uh, a while back where your 1992 Dodge Viper RT10 Roadster was auctioned uh -huh. off uh, a while yeah. back. What else do you have in the garage? You know, I've got a, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I'm not a big collector. But, you know, I do have one of the first Supras that just one of the new Supras that came out with Toyota. I think Fabulous. I got number, I got zero, I got 007. Um, and so I do have a new Supra. And then um, I have the Dodge, uh, and I'm blanking on it right now. It's the uh, Z28, but it's got the big engine in it. The uh, I'm blanking on it now. This is the old age that's coming. Now you can tell I'm a, I'm a grandfather <laughs> of seven when I can't uh, to remember. But uh and then, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I, I've got an Apache 1960 Apache, Chevrolet Apache little truck that, uh, that Mitch actually bought me for my uh, 60th birthday last year. And so that's kind of the... You're born in 1960. 
That's right. So get that. And it's orange. And I had the seats made out of football footballs. And, and so uh, Wilson leather, my, right? Wilson, Wilson leather. leather. Exactly. So that's kind of my, my little love right now. And I think there's a, there may be a Bentley involved. I have a Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Bentley guy. That's the only guy that, uh, um, that's the only one I, I have outside of a dealership that we own, but uh, fell in love with the Bentley back in 07 and actually held my, had a, uh, that one for about <clears throat> 13 years, and then just upgraded again uh, this past year to a to a newer to the to the newer Bentley. So, uh, but do love the cars, but I'm still one that goes, wow, how can I go out and pay buy cars when I've got a bunch sitting on lots that I can drive? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. You're so. you're still a pretty avid golfer too, aren't you, John? I am. Yeah, I am. You know, golf is something that uh, you know I think is as a football player or as a competitor, whatever you do that, uh, you know, you never lose that edge. And I think that, uh, you know, golf is something that you can play for a long, long time. And I didn't play when I was in college and started playing when I got out of college and, and it's been a, a goal of mine. And, and, you know, been played in many, several competitive events. I can't say I've won a lot, but um, you know, I, I enjoy that. And so golf kind of replaces that, uh, competitiveness to where you can get out and, and uh, you know, compete against the golf course and also compete against the guys I'm playing with. And, and it's, a, it's a game that, uh, you know, you can't perfect. And so it changes day to day. And I think that's the, that's kind of what drives me to that game is continue to drive, get better and better at that. Even though, even though you can't perfect it, um, you know, when you have a good day out there, it makes it p- feel pretty good. What, have you had some favorite golf partners through the years? Well, I've been fortunate to play a lot, you know, with a lot of pros and, you know, I got a chance. We're talking about this. I had a chance to play with Arnold Palmer. I've had a chance to play mm-hmm. with Jack Nicholas and, and, you know, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson. And so, and it's always been a treat for me to play with them and, and to see the quality that uh, the people that they are, but also, you know, learn from them and see how they play. And, and, uh, you know, I think that everyone says, well, yeah, when you get done playing football, you can go ahead and play on the PGA tour. And it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> until you see how good those guys are whether in even the senior tour right it's like oh you can get on the senior tour but but um, you know you realize what a, you know that we still are amateur golfers when you get out and play against those guys and realize how good they are well jimmy johnson at 45 went from driving nascars to driving indy cars so anything's possible uh-huh. right john that's, that's right never say never and anything that can you know you can compete at that gives you those get those juices flowing is always uh you know, for me, a lot of fun. What kind of golfer are you? How how good are you? Well, you know, I I, I would say I'm a pretty good golfer. I, I work at it. You know, I, I think my index is like 2.0 right now. And so um, I, I continue to work at it. And, and uh, you know, six, I'm 60 years old, be 61 at the end of the month. And so realizing that runway is getting a little bit shorter. So I try to play as much golf as I possibly can. The Broncos season coming up, uh, you're going to have fans in the stands again, which I know will be a welcome addition, um, a, uh, a chance to go back to some semblance of normalcy. What are you looking forward to in this year's NFL season? You know, <clears throat> that, you're right. And I think last year was such a tough year. I think it's, uh, you know, what, what, you know, what a tremendous feat and what Roger Goodell and the NFL did to be able to get every game played last year, you know, 256 games with everything that was going on and, and with, with, uh, you know, COVID that, uh, you know, I thought it was a tremendous feat. Obviously it was very difficult to, to get everybody on the, on the same page with zoom meetings and not being able to practice very much, no off season, you know, curtailed training camp. And so I think it's, uh, you know, I think the people are going to enjoy the fact that we're going to, we're getting a chance to work this off season and, and, and especially for young players, I think it really hurt young players last year. And, and we are a very young team. And so I think we're going to have a chance to, to get better with an off season, get these guys out there and training and working in a better field for it. So, you know, the NFL is the NFL. They've got tremendous players. The, the talent in the, in the NFL is, is in all the sports leagues just continues to grow just with their training techniques and the athletic ability of these kids coming out of college and, the way they take care of their bodies and the nutrition and the way they go about their business. It's, you know, the athleticism is just, you know, so much better than it was that it ever has been. So I think it'll be another great year. I think uh, as far as the Broncos, I think we have a good chance. I think uh, obviously we're in a tough division with 
you know, with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Oh, yeah, talking about talented players, yeah. Yes, exactly. We got the Raiders, and then, you know, you got Herbert and, and with, the, with the L.A. Chargers, and so we got a very difficult uh, division, but really think that we have a chance to take the next step. Uh, George Payton, who is our new uh, general manager, has done a tremendous job this offseason in add, adding people to it. We had a successful draft, but you never know about the draft until you see him get out there and play either. So those are always the unknown, and I think that's a great thing about the NFL as far as keeping everybody on the level playing field. But uh, it'll be an exciting one. We're excited about getting started again. We're going through our last mini camp right now, and then the players will take off for about four weeks and then get ready to go and start training camp at the end of July, and you know, hopefully we're right back in the thick of things. How would the 1983 John Elway compete in the – 2021 NFL season. <laughs> well, you you always think that uh, you can, you can compete. Now, like I said, I think the athletes are you know it's so much better. But I thought that uh, you know you always think that uh, no matter how old you are, uh, you always think that you can compete with all levels of the athletes in today's world. But uh, you know it's a different game. You know I think uh, the, the 83 John Elway would love to look look at what's going on in this game and the amount of times that the quarterbacks are throwing the football and the way the offenses are now spreading the field and getting the balls downfield and throwing the football so much more. So as a quarterback, I would have to say that from 1983 to today, it'd be a heck of a lot more fun playing in today's game. Yeah, no kidding. Talk about a quarterback's game now. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Would the 2021 John Elway look at the 83 John Elway and say that he was a spoiled brat? <laughs> well, it depends on which side you're on. Right. right. I guess if I was – if I was in Baltimore, I'd say, yeah, that kid, he's a spoiled brat. But I guess if I was on the Denver Broncos side, I'd have been thrilled the fact that they were, went ahead and traded him and, and got him to the Denver Broncos. And so you, depending on what side you look at it or which side I might have been on there, I can understand the feelings on both sides. Great answer. Uh, this spring, final thing, John, this spring, 20 years ago, you lost your father. Um, I've got to imagine that uh, Jack would be extremely proud of where his son is today, not only w with what happened on the field, but also what's happened in business. What would he say? You know, I would hope, you know, because he was the guy that, uh, you know, he was always the guy that if he told me I did okay, then I believe, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that, uh, but he was also the, you know, the guy that kicked me in the tail and said, no, you, you know, your attitude and where you're going to bad things is the wrong way. But, uh, you know, I would hope that uh, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to see him again. And, that, you know, if he gives me a pat on the back, that's a, that's all I would need. And it, make, it would make everything that I've ever done in my life complete. Did you win the slipper race? <laughs> Most of the times, yeah. But there was usually a big fight. But I, was, I bet. As I got bigger and stronger, my sisters didn't have a chance. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> John Elway, thank you so much for joining me today on Cars and culture, what a treat walking through your, your NFL career as, as well as your business career. We wish you the best of luck in whatever road you go down going forward. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks again to NFL legend and businessman John Elway. And thanks for listening to another week of Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road.